as I said, we're, we're finishing up today the, the series we've been doing on change. Uh, so I had to break out the rest of my change humor that I've been saving for this whole series. Uh, so I, I was thinking this week, some of you have had a real fear of change going on in your lives. So uh, get over it. It's just nickels and dimes. Oh, no, that was, that was definitely a dad joke. Um, all right, we'll, we won't use that one. Forget that. We'll edit it out of the broadcast and out of the tape. Um, here's another one. I think some guys miss the point sometimes. A guy was going back to the nursery with the baby, and the lady said, you can't just switch them out. If your wife asked you to change, she probably meant the diaper. All right, that was better. There was, there was more on that one. Oh, man. This... I don't know. This, the next one is not really a joke. This would just help me. Maybe we should leave the jokes behind. Just say, man, a change in latitude would help my attitude. That, that is a truth for me. And because we're in the middle of February, I had to put another beach picture up there somehow. I, I can't tell you how ready I am for warmer weather. Uh, so change, obviously, is the word to our church for 2021. We're, we're not going to necessarily move the church to a warmer location, although I bet a bunch of you would move and follow us there if we did. <laughs> Uh, or at least you come visit us on the weekends. But I believe that God wants change to happen in our lives and in the church. And there's something about you can't expect something different by doing the same thing over and over. So there's change that God wants to bring in our lives. And during the series we've talked about, we don't know exactly what it is, but God wants us to change. And those changes are always for our good. And last week we talked about the concept of love changing everything. So I'm just believing that God is working that into our lives. But as I started to think about it, I really was asking myself the question, how do we change? We can talk about it on Sundays. We can amen it. We can take pictures of the screen and post them on our, our social media. But how do we change? What are the practical steps to do it? And that's what I want to finish up with this series today. I want to talk about just the, the Christian concept of change. And I want to give us some practical steps to walk that out and to see change happen in our lives. So the first thing I want to remind us in God's economy, the goal of change is for us to be like Jesus. Can, can we get agreement on that this morning? Is everybody on the same page with me? That is God's goal for changing our lives, is to cause us to be just like Jesus, not just change for change's sake, or because he's like, hey, I don't want them to get bored, I'm going to mix it up a little bit. His change that he wants in us is to make us look and sound exactly like Jesus. Uh, in 2 Corinthians 3.18, it says this, We who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory are being transformed into his likeness. Everybody say transformed. That's a, that's a bigger word for change. We're being transformed into his likeness with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. As we're reading that verse, just a couple things to point out. Uh, it says unveiled faces. That doesn't mean without the mask we've all been wearing. Uh, unveiled faces was actually a reference to the old covenant and saying, hey, when, when God came, when Jesus came and walked on the earth and established a new covenant through the work of the cross, it was like he took a veil off of our face where we could see him clearly now. They, Moses, they talked in the scripture about when Moses was read or the old covenant, it was like people had a veil over their faces. And now that Jesus came, the veil's been removed. So we're beholding him as he is. We have been made new creations. We're just like Jesus on the inside. When the Father looks at us, he sees Jesus. But how many of you know the outside doesn't always look like the inside? And I'm, I got at least a hearty amen from Pam up here in the front because she lives with me and knows that. The outside doesn't always look on the inside, but the real work has already happened on the inside. We've been made like him. We've been made a new creation, but we are being continually transformed so that people around us can see on the outside what's already true on the inside. We're being changed so that when they see us, 
they'll see Jesus' character and how he would act and the things that he would do in this world. And the whole process, according to that verse, works by the Holy Spirit. So we need, we were singing this morning, Holy Spirit, you're welcome in this place. Whether it's here or around the world, it really does start right here. Holy Spirit, you're welcome in this place to let that transformation, that change keep happening in me. And there is a foundational word for change in Christianity. You may have heard this word once or twice if you've been a Christian for any length of time in any church anywhere. The foundational word for change in the Christian life is repent. How many of you have ever heard that in a church service once or twice? Repent. Uh, John the Baptist and Jesus proclaimed it as part of their message. If you go back and read the first few chapters of Matthew, it said John the Baptist showed up. Uh, I picture John the Baptist saying it like, repent. How many of you have ever heard that way? Like the, the guy with the camel skins on and the locust all in his teeth because that's what he ate, the locust and the honey, and it was all sticky in his beard. Come on, John the Baptist was a real guy. And if you're eating locust and honey, you're going to have residue in your beard. Come on. That's, I just picture him being the wild-eyed crazy guy yelling, repent at everybody. But then Jesus came, and he picked up that same message. He said, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He was telling them, this is the way to access this new reality. The life that Jesus came to give, that life and life more abundantly, the kingdom of God that he was releasing into the earth, he said, repentance is the way to access it. And he began to proclaim that. The Greek word for repent in Scripture is metaneo, and it means to change your mind, your thoughts, and your attitudes. There is a change that happens right here first, right here first, before anything on the outside happens, before any behaviors change, before you start living differently. There's something different that goes on in here and here. There's a change that happens. We repent. And that repentance, that change of our mind, does result in new behavior. It changes how we live. It changes how we interact with everybody. There is something in repentance that involves turning away from something old and turning towards something new. Leaving sin behind and pursuing what Jesus wants in our lives. There's all kinds of things, but repentance is a change that starts here first. Repentance is how you receive the gift of salvation. Did you ever hear that concept? Everybody says salvation can't be earned. It's a gift, right? But you do have to receive gifts. Your gifts don't do any good if they're still laying under the Christmas tree in February. Does anybody still have their Christmas tree up in February? No. I, I made the mistake. One time we left our Christmas tree up till It was the only time in our lives we actually purchased a real tree. And we left it up about two weeks too long. And do you know what happened? As soon as I tried to take that tree away, about 80% of it got left right there on the living room floor. There's something about receiving the gifts. You can't leave them there. And well, how do we receive the gift of salvation? We repent. It's that simple. We change our mind. We say, man, I didn't used to believe that Jesus was the Son of God, that he died on the cross, and now I do. Could it get any simpler than that? to become a Christian, to receive the greatest gift that's ever be, been released to mankind, to just say, man, I used to not believe it, and now I do. Something happened right here first, and a new creation was formed inside of me. Repentance is how you access things. Um, I think, as a Christian, repentance is how we continue to change. I, I believe there was, there was a one-time event that started the whole process. The moment I came to faith, I believed that Jesus was who he said he was, that he died on the cross, that he rose again. But to continue to change, there is more changing that needs to happen up here. How many of you have ever thought something that wasn't right, even after you were a Christian? Do you know how to fix that? We repent because we change how we think and our attitudes and what's going on inside of us. Um, 
if you want to successfully repent, here's, here's a good, easy, simple roadmap for you. When God reveals truth, agree with him. There's, there's a change that would happen in our mind. And this is not always, come on, this could be about sin. We usually think of repentance as being, hey, there's something sinful happening in my life that I need to, to leave it behind and change. This might, I don't know if this will be too teachy or not, but I think this is really what happens when even as a Christian, how many of you know sin always produces death, right? That's pretty clear from scripture. When we sin, basically what we're doing is we're coming into agreement with sin and empowers death in our lives again. We, we, not, we may be still going to heaven. We may not ever break our relationship with him, but we've empowered death somehow. It may kill relationships. It may kill the things that we're doing. We may not see abundant life, yeah. but what happens when we repent we're breaking our agreement with that sin. When Jesus comes and says, hey, that's not right. It's keeping the abundant life from flowing in your life. We say, okay, Lord, I repent. And really what you're doing is you're turning away from that. You're saying, I'm disempowering it. I'm breaking my agreement with it. And I'm coming into agreement with you, Lord Jesus, that that's not good for my life. So it, it may be sin that we repent from. But other things that, that could involve repentance could be your identity in Christ. It could be him coming and saying, hey, you're so much more. I see you as my son. I see you as my beloved one. Do you know there's repentance that needs to happen there? Because we're looking at ourselves thinking, I'm such a failure. I'm a wreck. I'm a mess. And repentance says, I'm going to agree with God's truth instead. I'm going to change my mind and say, man, I really am what he says I am. And in that moment, repentance happens. And something shifts in here, and it comes out, out here. There's just things that he wants to do differently in our lives, truth that he reveals. And when we come into agreement with his truth and leave whatever else we were thinking behind, that's repentance. And that's how change happens for Christians. Uh, How does God get us to that place? How does he move us to repentance? Uh, There's a great verse in Romans chapter 2. Starting in verse 4, it says, Do you have contempt for God who is very kind with you and puts up with you? Thank you, Jesus, for your kindness and putting up with us. I I think about my wife when I read this verse. Thank you for your kindness and putting up with me. But it says, do you have contempt for God who's very kind to you, puts up with you, and deals patiently with you? Don't you realize that it is God's kindness that is trying to lead you to him and change the way you think and act? Or you may have a translation that says God's kindness leads you to repentance. God doesn't prompt us to change through condemnation or judgment. It's his kindness that leads to repentance. I love you so much. I know what's best for you. There's more for your life. I have something different for you that's better than where you're living. It's his kindness that draws us to that change. Now, sometimes God's kindness, even that that willingness or the, the issue that he says, hey, I want you to change this, sometimes that makes us uncomfortable. Has, has anybody else in the room besides me ever gotten uncomfortable when God comes and says, hey, I want you to change this in your life? Man, there, there is something that's like, oh, I see where I haven't been living the way you want me to or the, the abundance that you have for me. It's not being experienced in my life. And that's in 2 Corinthians 7. And Paul talks about it this way. He says, the kind of sorrow God wants us to experience leads us away from sin and results in salvation. There is no regret for that kind of sorrow. But worldly sorrow, which lacks repentance, results in spiritual death. He's saying sometimes we see those areas in our lives that we know aren't where God wants us to be, and it causes us sorrow, or some translations say distress. You're looking at it, and you're like, man, I know that's not right. How do I get out of that? And when God comes, he says, hey, that that sorrow you're feeling is supposed to lead us to repentance. 
He comes and says, hey, I want you to turn away from that and turn towards this. God's godly sorrow, when we experience it in our lives, it always has a way out. It should lead us to repentance. The sorrow that God uses helps us to change. The world's sorrow leaves us in a place where we say, you're no good, you're no good, you're no good. Baby, you're no good. Come on, I heard at least a couple people finish it. My, my oldies in the room got that one. You're no good, you're no good. Baby, you're no good. Or if you're more recent, oh, you, you could say, oh, I'm a loser, baby. Why don't you kill me? That was a popular song in the t- early 2000s. For those of you that are a little newer, I'm not new, new enough in current popular music to tell you what songs are out there about being a loser, but I know they're out there. Uh, I know there's a whole bunch of them. If you say, hey, show me songs about losers, you're going to get that because that's what worldly sorrow does. It keeps you in that place of saying you're a loser and you'll always be a loser. But godly sorrow offers us a way out and says, move to repentance. You can leave that behind and walk in who you were made to be. I want to tell you some steps to walk that process out. Here are, I'm, I'm not, I don't usually do the three points or the alliteration, but I want to give you, these are five steps. And I'm just going to go through these quickly because I want to read a couple more scriptures to you. But these are five steps for walking out repentance in your life. Uh, the first one is awareness. I have to be aware that I need to change. Sometimes it's very challenging to be aware that you need to change. It's hard to be objective when you're looking at your own life. Thank God for the voices around you that I believe God will even prompt by his Holy Spirit to say, hey, what's going on in your life right there? Did you know you need to change? That's not pleasing to the Lord. That's holding you back from being who you could be. There's an awareness that first has to come in our lives. It may not be comfortable, but it's necessary. Then the second step to change is desire. We, this is where repentance really comes into the equation as a Christian. We are changing our minds to agree with God. Desire. We only change when we own it. There may be times when everybody around me knows I need to change. Maybe I'm even aware of it, but I don't want to. Has anybody else ever been there? You, you know it's going on. It's just like, I don't care. I'm just me being me. Do you ever hear that phrase, you be you, I'll, I'll, you do you, I'll do me? Could we, could we say you do you, but I need to do Jesus? Like that's, that's where I need to do what he wants me to do, not just make an excuse for being the way I am. So we need to move from just being aware of it to having a desire, a desire to change. It only, change only happens when I own it, when I want to change. Uh, the, the next step is knowledge. Desire opens us up to accepting what is the what and the how. Tell me how I can change. What do I need to do differently? How do I get out of this place where I am? Knowledge and motivation isn't always enough. Sometimes you actually need some people around you, some support to help you walk through change, to hold you accountable, to say, how's it going this week with that change you wanted to make? Do you know, if you want, here's outside outside of a sinful or worldly example, maybe you just want to lose weight. I'm aware that, hey, this got a little bigger over the winter. I have an awareness of it. Man, I have a desire. I want to change. But maybe just stepping on the scale every morning isn't enough. Maybe I need somebody to say, hey, let's, let's get off the couch and go for a run. Let's go exercise. How's your weight doing? Or, you know, we need sometimes that external help to put that knowledge into step four, action. We have to act on what we know. This is where most of us get stuck. There are many reasons that people don't take action. I will tell you a lot of them boil down to fear. 
I'm, I'm afraid of changing. I'm afraid of not being in control. I'm afraid of failing. What if, it, what if I try and it doesn't work out? All these things that come through our minds that hold us back from taking action on what we know is right. And then the, the last step to change is perseverance. Maybe you take action and you fall flat on your face. Has anybody ever been there? And it, you feel like you've fallen. You know what you need to do? Get up. Shake it off and keep going. Try something different. Don't judge it. Just don't get stuck in the negative. Keep going. In following Jesus, you win as long as you don't give up. Can I tell you the Bible puts a high value on perseverance? Hebrews 12, 11 talks about let us run with perseverance the race that's laid out before us. You win as long as you don't quit. The worst thing you could do as a Christian is just to give up and quit. And say it'll, it'll never change. Nothing will be different. Uh, the, the Greek word for perseverance is hypomeno. It means to hold out, to endure, to undergo, to continue, to remain. It doesn't say anything about getting it right every time. It just says continue. Remain. Keep enduring it. Keep walking after him. Lord, I've, I may have failed this time, but I'm going to keep following you because I know that you ultimately have my good in mind. All right. That's the steps to change. I want to read you a story from Luke to tell you how that looks and how it works in our lives. You guys okay? Is it all right if I read a few more Bible verses to you? Uh, I want to read three passages from Luke. So put on your seatbelts. I'm going to read you some scripture, and then I'm going to talk about it. Uh, Passage number one from Luke is Luke 18, chapter 18, verse 9. And this is a parable. It says Jesus told them a parable, but I actually think this is a prophetic picture because Jesus knew what he was about to do. And he told them this story in advance so they could be marveling when they saw it happen. Luke 18, 9 says, To some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everybody else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood up and prayed about himself. Please, if you're hearing anything you've ever said in these verses, it's okay. Repent and move on with God. Uh, The Pharisee stood up and prayed about himself. God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, those robbers, those evildoers, those adulterers, those Ravens fans. Come on, we all have our own list. We put something in there that thank you, God, I'm not like them. And it may be other groups besides Raven fans. That's the funny one. If I said other ones, I would get groans or half the people mad at me. So that's what this guy prayed. I'm not like those other people or even this tax collector. I fast twice a week and I give a tenth of all I got. And then Jesus looks at the other guy and he says, but the tax collector stood at a distance. He wouldn't even look up to heaven, but he beat his breast and he said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. This is what Jesus says in that parable. He says, I tell you that this man, rather than the other one, went home justified before God. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. So what I want to just remember out of this passage, there were two guys that Jesus was talking about. He was talking about a Pharisee and a tax collector, or you could say a religious guy and a sinner. That's who he's talking about. And he says the the religious guy thought he had it all together and he was perfect before God. The sinner recognized who he was and knew I need to change. And just eight verses later, so Jesus tells this parable. Don't don't ever think in scripture that the stuff Jesus does is just random or unconnected, okay? Just eight verses later after Jesus says, hey, you're going to see two guys. There's this parable. There's a religious guy that thinks he has it all together and there's a sinner that knows he needs to change. 
Eight verses later in Luke 18, 22, it says, when Jesus heard this, he said to him, he has a rich young ruler come talk to him. And the guy says, I've done everything I've needed. What else do I need to inherit eternal life? I've kept all those commands. I'm, I, surely I'm perfect in your eyes, Jesus. And he says, when Jesus heard this, he said to him, you still lack one thing. Sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. And this was the rich young ruler's response. It says, when he heard this, he became very sad because he was a man of great wealth. Come on, what does worldly sorrow produce? Death. Because there's no change that happens. This rich young ruler missed out on the concept of repentance because he had something else he was trusting in besides Jesus. It says he had great wealth. Oh, God, that's my security. I can come follow you, Jesus, because I got all my bills covered. And Jesus said, sell everything you have. It says, this guy went away sad. And Jesus looked at him and said, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. Indeed, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Those who heard this asked, who then can be saved? Jesus replied, what is impossible with men is possible with God. Come on, think about this rich young ruler. He was on the road to those five steps we talked about. He was made aware of his need to change. You should sell everything you have. You've been trusting in money too much. Jesus gave him the knowledge of how to change. Sell everything you have. Go give it to the poor. Then come follow me. You'll have treasure in heaven. But he fell down on the desire part. He didn't own it. I don't want to change. You, you don't know what you're asking, Jesus. He didn't repent. He never owned his need to change. He never even got to the action and the perseverance steps. He became very sad. This is the worldly sorrow because it wasn't coupled with repentance, and he went away unchanged. And Jesus, he gives this picture of, hey, it's, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than a rich man to be saved. Uh, you, you can study that all you want. I've heard different things. Uh, I've heard one teaching said there was, there was a gate that they called the needle going into Jerusalem, and it was really hard to get your camel to, to go through the gate because the camel almost had to go on its knees. I also heard a teaching one time that said uh, the word camel and the word rope are homonyms in the Aramaic language. And when Jesus said that word, he may have been referring to like putting a rope through the eye of a needle. Either way, it was very difficult. And the disciples looked at that and they're like, wow, we thought rich people had it all together. If they can't be saved, how could this possibly happen? And Jesus says, hey, there's nothing impossible with God. And remember, there were, there were two guys in that parable Jesus talked about. The, the religious guy who wouldn't change and the sinner who knew he needed to change. And he had just encountered a religious guy who thought he had it all together. And he told the disciples, don't worry, everything's possible with God. It's possible for God to even save rich people. So to show the other side of that parable, he, 15 verses later, so this was eight verses later, he deals with the rich young ruler. Just 15 verses later in Luke chapter 19 and verse 1, it says, Jesus entered Jericho and made his way through the town. There was a man there named Zacchaeus. What was Zacchaeus? Thank you. I heard several people. The correct answer was he was a wee little man, and a wee little man was he. Oh. Sunday school does stick with you. Um, so there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was the chief tax collector in the region, and he had become very rich. Huh. Very similar to the rich young ruler. He had great wealth. And I will tell you, Zacchaeus most likely did not accumulate his wealth legally. 
He was, he was a tax collector, but tax collectors had a notorious reputation. They were hated by Jewish people because they stole and they cheated people. And they, they in, increased their own wealth through stealing and taking other people's money before they passed along the taxes. And it says he was the chief tax collector. So this wasn't just one of the normal guys out on the street, hey, I'm here to collect for the government. This was the main guy saying, hey, I'm in charge of this whole region. I'm the tax collector. He had become very rich. And he tried to get a look at Jesus, but he was too short to see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree beside the road for Jesus was going to pass this way. Huh? There was already a great crowd around Jesus. He had been in this region. He had been healing people. He had been teaching. I believe the people in Jericho, when Jesus went there, they were already familiar with his message and his miracles because he had been right up the road doing these amazing things. And most people that were listening to Jesus, I think they were already at the awareness step. How could you be following Jesus? Come on, think about this. He's coming down the the street to your town. You went out to to meet him. You saw him heal blind Bartimaeus by the road. You heard him talk. I think most people were already aware, I'm not living like that guy. There's something different about Jesus that I need that I don't have. And it attracted a great crowd. But Zacchaeus couldn't see because he was short. And he's up in this tree trying to see Jesus, just getting a glimpse. Have you ever pursued Jesus that way? Like, man, if I could just get a glimpse of you. Man, if, if I could just see you when you pass by, there's, I know something would change in my life. And then, amazingly, we're just hoping for a glimpse, and he comes and grabs us by the shoulders and looks us right in the face. Isn't that amazing thought that he loves us and he sees us that much? And it says, when Jesus came by, he looked up at Zacchaeus and called him by name. Zacchaeus, he said, quick, come down. I must be a guest in your home today. Here's a guy that's thinking, I'm I'm a sinner. I'm the chief tax collector. I just want to see Jesus when he walks by on the street. And Jesus knows my name, and he wants to come to my house. This rocks Zacchaeus' world. And it says in verse 6, Zacchaeus quickly climbed down and took Jesus to his house in great excitement and joy. But the people were displeased. Hmm. That preacher, he, he says good things on Sunday morning, but do you know who he hangs out with during the week? The people were displeased. He has gone to be the guest of a notorious sinner. And they grumbled. Come on, this Zacchaeus was not just your run-of-the-mill sinner. Everybody knew who Zacchaeus was and what he had been doing. He was a notorious sinner, and Jesus knew his name and wanted to go to his house, and there was desire there. I think Zacchaeus was aware, and the desire was awakened. Zacchaeus owned it. Hey, I have great excitement and joy in responding to Jesus. This wasn't just like, oh, man, Jesus saw me. Now he's going to call me out in front of everybody. I'm probably going to have to do something. He was excited to hear Jesus' voice and to respond to, you want to do what? Come to my house? Yes, yes, yes. Whatever you want, Jesus, just say yes. But people called him a notorious sinner. Don't ever let others define you or your ability to change. If he would have listened to the voices of the crowd around him, Zacchaeus would have said, well, I guess Jesus could come to my house, but I'm, I can't change. I'm a notorious sinner. I've got a reputation of sinning in this town that I have to hold up. Don't ever let other people define you or you'll never change. Worldly sorrow says you're a notorious sinner and that's all you'll ever be. 
But godly sorrow says there's something different that you could have. Was Zacchaeus, the the tax collector from Jesus' parable that beat his chest, said, have mercy on me, a sinner, God. I think he might have been. I think there might have been moments where he owned that and was in the temple offering a sacrifice and saying, God, have mercy on me. And Jesus knew that. And he saw him and he called him by name. And I think you could make a case that that Zacchaeus, based on what he does next, Luke chapter 19, verse 8 says, Meanwhile, Zacchaeus stood before the Lord, all the voices around him saying, This guy's a notorious sinner. How could you do this, Jesus? We're grumbling against you. And it says, Zacchaeus stood before the Lord and said, I will give half my wealth to the poor, Lord. And if I have cheated people on their taxes, I will give them back four times as much. Jesus responded saying, salvation has come to this home today for this man has shown himself to be a true son of Abraham. There's the knowledge step. Hey, I have a plan. I know I need to give back and pay back. I need to be generous. And he took action. I believe he did it. I believe Zacchaeus was a man of his word. Otherwise, Jesus wouldn't have responded the way he did. I think repentance produces salvation. Zacchaeus said, I'm, I'm a changed man. And Jesus says, salvation has come to this house today. And then Jesus affirmed his identity. He says, this guy's a true son of Abraham. He didn't say this, this guy's a true son of Moses. He's, he's going to keep the rules. He's going to live under the law. He said, this is a true son of Abraham. The one who was the heir of all the promises that God said, you're going you're, you're to change nations. And Jesus affirmed, that's who you are. Salvation has come, and you're a son of Abraham. If we want to see the fruit of salvation producing in our lives, that's what our action item is. We need to repent. And I'm, I'm going to say, there's, there's a couple things. If, if you're in this room or you're watching online and you've never started a relationship with Jesus, repenting is the way to begin that. You look at him and say, Jesus, I believe that you are the son of God, that you died on the cross for me. And in that moment... There's a new life that starts for you. And then the, if you've been walking with Jesus for any length of time, I want us to ask Jesus, what, what do I need to repent from? I need to turn away from something and turn towards you. What is going on in my life? And, and like I said, it may be a sin issue or it just may be a change you need to make. It may be, how many of you have ever heard the phrase that the, the good is the enemy of better or best? Like there may be something going on in your life that you're thinking, hey, this is really good. This is all I need. And repentance may say, hey, let go of that because I've got something else for you that's better. I don't know what it is, but I just want us to spend some time before we leave today asking Jesus, is there something I need to change my, my thoughts and my attitudes about? Is there something I need to repent and just say, Lord, let change happen in my life? And if you're, if you're willing to do that, I'd like you to even share that with somebody before you go today. Like if Jesus shows you something and you're brave enough to say it to somebody else, I believe that's part of taking action and and having people help you stay accountable. Uh, Let's go ahead and stand for a second. We're going to pray and and ask God to speak to us in this place. (coughs) Thank you, Lord. Hmm. God, we thank you that your end game is for us to be like Jesus. And we just say right up front that we trust you in that process. Lord, we know that you have good in your heart and in your mind for us. Your thoughts towards us are good, Lord Jesus. You are a good father. We trust you implicitly with our lives and everything that concerns us. And Lord, we ask right now that you would help us 
Lord, let us be aware of, of areas that need to change in our lives. Speak to us, Lord Jesus. Now, I just want to reassure you right now. I think sometimes in the world, they give us a laundry list. Here's all the places you're falling short and you need to change. You need to be different in all these areas before you even come back tomorrow. I don't, I don't know what your experience has been with God, but I, don't, I haven't experienced Jesus like that. When, when I walk with Jesus, when I start praying prayers like this, he comes and tells me one thing. He's like, work on this. Let, let me take this out of your life. Let me change this. Be open to, to my leading in this area. Because he, he doesn't come and overwhelm us. He doesn't run roughshod over your life and say, hey, I'm, you, you were only at a one yesterday and you're going to be at a 10 tomorrow. He could do that supernaturally, but I find most often he comes and gently deals with us one issue at a time. And it's usually in the area that we need it the most. Please don't listen to everybody else's opinions around you of you need to change this, you need to change that. There may be one thing that God's dealing with you that's different than anything anybody else is saying. And just respond to that. <laughs> Lord, we thank you for your, your still small voice in our hearts and our lives. Lord, speak to us. And when we hear your voice, Lord Jesus, I thank you that the whole process works by the power of the Holy Spirit. God, I ask that you would deliver us from trying to change things in our own strength, our own willpower. But let us yield to your spirit and the power that comes from you working in our lives. Lord, I come against fear in people's lives right now. Whether it's, whether it's fear of opening up to somebody else about needing to be held accountable or fear of just what that change would mean in our lives. Lord, we break the power of fear because we thank you that your perfect love is what motivates everything that you do in our lives. Lord, we honor you. We thank you for your good plans for us. And Lord, when, when we see those changes happen, when we see things that are going on in our lives, let us be quick to give you glory for your power and your love for us. Let us be quick to open our mouths to the people around us to let them know of your goodness. God, I thank you that there is power in repentance, that it accesses your kingdom, that it lets good fruit flow in our lives. And I, I really just feel like there's, there's a couple people I, I feel like you need to expect, even in the next coming weeks, that there's going to be a few people that they may not even know how to express it to you, but they're going to feel like they've been around Jesus when they hang out with you. There's, there's going to be something they experience of the love of God or the, the care, the compassion, the nature of Jesus, that when they're around you, they're not even going to know how to say what they're feeling, but it's going to be an opportunity or an open door to share the gospel and to just say, man, Jesus has been working on my life. Jesus has been changing me. I'm, from the inside out, he's been changing me and working on me, and he loves you so much he could do it for you too. I just encourage you right now, be on the lookout for those opportunities. Be, Lord, give us the eyes to see them and to recognize those situations when they happen, then that we would be quick to open our mouths and tell people of your great love. Lord, 
I just ask for your blessings to continue to be upon us, even as we leave this moment and this place. Thank you that you go with us wherever we are, that your presence surrounds us at all times. Lord, I thank you that the atmosphere of the places we go is changed because your spirit dwells within us. We love you. We honor you. We give you glory today for what you're doing in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Amen. Yeah. Man, there, there are some people that are here today that they want to pray for you. And if you've got anything going on in your life, whether it's pain in your body, sickness, disease, or maybe you're, you're dealing with, hey, I, I, didn't, I just need somebody to pray with me to repent, to leave this behind and, and embrace what Jesus has for me. There's going to be some people from the ministry team up front here, and they'd be happy to pray with you. Don't, don't leave today without getting prayer. You might think it's something small. How could I bother anybody with that? It's not too small for Jesus. So if you want to do that, there will be people up front uh, to pray with you. You can linger and stay in your seat and just soak in his presence. You can hang out and talk with people, but uh, you guys are dismissed. You're free to go and just enjoy your day. 50 degrees 